Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Dave, and this is the Chase the Summit Trail Talk podcast, where it's kind of like you're joining me for a run, and I'm talking, and I'm telling you all about the the latest news from the outdoor world and ultra running world and fitness tech, and I just won't shut up, but I have a microphone and you don't, so you're going to have to deal with that. I don't know why that became the intro of this podcast, but I'm going to stick with it, I guess. Uh, Thanks for joining me today. Today it is, uh, let's see, Friday, December 23rd. It's episode 46 of the podcast. We've got a good episode today. I've got a a pretty good mix of, uh, of different types of news. So we've got some outdoor news. We've got some fitness tech news. We've got some updates from my personal life. And then we'll round it all off at the end of the episode with some listener Q&A. And that's a lot of fun. So stick around for that. Before we dive all the way into this podcast, I do want to give a huge, huge shout out, a big thank you to, to two groups of people. First of all, the Patreon members. So if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a it's a place where you can help support your favorite creator, whether that's me or somebody else. Uh, it's a way of just donating a couple of bucks every month directly to them. No one takes a cut of it except for Patreon. They take a little bit, uh, but it's a great way to help support the people that you enjoy listening to in podcast form or on YouTube or anything like that. And I'm, I'm stating this not just for me, if you enjoy me, you know, check out my Patreon page, but also for other people. You know, there's a lot of creators out there working their butts off in, in putting out some great content. So if you enjoy listening or if you enjoy watching somebody on YouTube, make sure you check out their Patreon page because it's, it's really helpful and it's a great way to help support your favorite content creator. On top of that, I do want to give a big thank you to the YouTube members. The same deal there. Uh, It's kind of like Patreon, but on YouTube. And it's just a great way to help support me or your favorite creator there as well. If you're interested in checking out Patreon or or the YouTube member program, check out the link at the bottom of the show notes that says support this show. And I really appreciate that. Thank you. And a quick shout out to all the Patreon members out there. Uh, We still have a couple of original gangsters from like way back. There's a couple of people that have been supporting me for years now, and I really appreciate it. So thank you for that. With that out of the way, uh, another shout out to the merch store. I still have a sale going on for the holidays. I'm calling it a Black Friday sale, even though Black Friday has uh, came and went and it's all over now, but I still have the sale going on. I'm going to keep it running until, uh, you know, sometime in January, probably. Uh, But you can check it out. Check out the link in the show notes to the merch store chasethesummit.com slash shop. And when you get there, use the discount code BFCTS2020. That's BFCTS2020. Uh, so the whole, th- I, I don't know why I said that's so weird. The whole thing is BFCTS20. Okay. <laughs> and that will give you 20% off your entire order at checkout at the Chase the Summit merch store on anything like a Chase the Summit trucker hat or anything like that. Um, and it's really, you know, it helps support my channel. You get some cool, cool gear out of it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I love going to races now and bumping into people who have the hats because um, it's it's happened quite a bit. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. So uh, thanks for the support. Okay, quick update on me. Uh, what's going on in my life? Uh, we've got some crazy weather here in New England. It, the, today, there's like a bomb cyclone going on across the entire country here in the USA. Uh, wherever you are, I don't know where you are, but like down in Tennessee and in, in, in the Southern States, they're getting like crazy cold weather. Um, it's like snowing in Tennessee and Texas right now. And here in Massachusetts where it should be snowing, it's actually relatively warm. It's like 59 degrees Fahrenheit today, which is odd for December. And, uh, it's crazy windy. We've got wind gusts up to 70 miles per hour. Some of the towns around here actually canceled school for the kids, but my kids went, uh, I drove them to the bus stop because it was too crazy for, for walking. And, you know, all the parents are out there and their umbrellas are flipping inside out. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy, but yeah, we're getting by, uh, the wind is wild. You might hear it in, in the background of this recording because I'm actually recording in my unfinished attic space. That's where I record these podcasts and, uh, yeah, the, the the wind is really wild. I'm looking out the window at these maybe 200 foot tall, you know, pine trees that are just 
whipping in the wind as if they were like little twigs. So uh, hopeful that none of these come down in my yard or on my house. Uh, so far, so good. Uh, so what's going on with me? Uh, well, you know, continuing to kind of low level train, I haven't been really going hard. Uh, ran a 50 K a couple of weeks ago, early December, I uh, talked about it on the last podcast and, uh, that was a lot of fun. I don't have any other races on the calendar, which has led me into sort of a predicament. I'm, I'm like panicking right now because here's the thing. I'm not in my best, my fittest shape right now. And right now is when I have to sign up for races for 2023. So, you know, I've been on ultra sign up. I've been on run reg or, or all those websites kind of shopping around on what I want to do this next year coming up. And I've had a whole bunch of ideas. Originally, I was really hopeful for Western States, but I didn't make that lottery. So that's off the table. Then I was thinking maybe I do, uh, the Leadville 100. That's another really famous ultra marathon here in the USA. They have a, a lottery as well, but apparently it's easier to get into, but I procrastinated on that. I did not register and that came and went. So that lottery is over. They're going to draw that in January. And so I was like, what do I do now? And I was thinking about the Georgia death race. That, that's an awesome name for a race, but it's also a really interesting race. Uh, but unfortunately that sells out like immediately that's off the table. So here I am late December. I have no idea what, what I, I want to run like 200 milers in 2023, probably a couple of 50 milers, probably do some of my own personal projects in the mountains. Um, and I just don't have any plans. So I've got three that I'm looking at right now. I'm looking at the Eastern States 100 that's in Pennsylvania. That looks really gnarly. I've, I've wanted to do that. I actually registered for it a couple of years ago, uh, but it was canceled due to the pandemic and I never got around to, to running it. So that's still on my radar. And then on top of that, I've been considering grindstone. That's a race that's in Virginia. That's another hundred miler. Again, very intimidating. It's a lot of elevation gain. It's a hard course, uh, but it is a Western States qualifier. So I've been considering that. And then I've been considering running the Vermont 100 yet again, even though I've already run that race. It's, it was a lot of fun. I like the environment. It's only a couple hours away. Um, the course is beautiful. So there's a lot of pros, you know, there's a lot of pros there. So I've been considering that. And then finally, this is actually four. I said three, but there are four that I've been considering. Uh, the Mid-State Massive. Again, I've run that before. It's local. The starting line's about 45 minutes to an hour away. Uh, but yeah, I have run that before, but it is, it's a point to point race. So it is kind of an adventure race. And then, you know, on top of that, I've got personal projects. I want to do a, a Pemi loop or a presidential traverse. And if you're from this area, you know what those mean. If you, if you're not from here, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Sorry, <laughs> but I don't know, you know, I'm left wondering what to do. I've got kind of an anxiety like I'm going to miss my opportunity to sign up for some of these things. And I just don't know. I, part of me wants to do like a destination race and, and get on a plane and experience it that way. And then part of me wants to just keep it local. Like I usually do. And, you know, drive my car to the starting line. If you've got, if you've got any advice or ideas or, you know, races that I should be considering, shoot me a DM on Instagram. I would really love some feedback on this topic because I have, no idea what to do. And, uh, I really want to make it count because, you know, training and taking the time to do these things, uh, away from my family and, and stuff, it's, it's committing. So I want to make sure it's worth it. Uh, so hit me up on Instagram, shoot me a DM if you've got any ideas or, or if you're the race director of Western States and you can just shoehorn me in to the, to the starting, the starting line, that would be great. Or if you know somebody that could do that, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Uh, man, Western States would be so cool to run. Uh, if you don't know, I, I was there, I, I got to visit in June and spectate and watch the race and document it for YouTube. And I was so thankful that the brand Hoka, the shoe company brought me out. They, you know, paid my way and got me out there and got me into the aid stations and stuff to see what it was all about. And it was really like a gateway drug 
before that experience, I wasn't even kind of, it wasn't really even on my radar as something I wanted to do just because of how high profile it is. But after being there and seeing it firsthand, it really made me want to do it. So I'm, I'm really considering, uh, signing up every year now, you know, I've only got one ticket that doesn't get me very far. I think my chances of getting in this year in the lottery was like 1%, but I still, I still tried <laughs> and I didn't succeed. So, uh, with that out of the way, uh, we've got 10 minutes of intro banter. Sorry about that. Let's dive into some of the news. So the first couple of topics I want to talk about are pretty sad. Actually, these are, they're, they're not happy bits of news. And these come from the outdoor world. Uh, first of all, here in New England, in New Hampshire, there's a mountain called Mount Willard. I am very familiar with Mount Willard because that's a great place to go ice climbing. The special thing about this mountain in New Hampshire's White Mountains called Mount Willard is that it's very cliffy. I don't even know if that's an adjective or a word, but essentially this mountain's a, it's a very easy hike. It's like a two mile hike to the, to the top. Uh, but the entire south and east side of this mountain are just cliffed out. There's a bunch of cliffs and gullies. And because of that, it makes for a great ice climbing destination. So there's a lot of waterfalls and things that freeze over in the winter and in a ton of ice climbers end up there. It's like the, the go-to spot in Crawford Notch in New Hampshire to uh, get some good climbing in, in the winter. Now on top of being a good climbing destination, it's also a great hike. It's a very easy hike. It's only a couple of miles and non-committing. And at the top, you are rewarded with the most beautiful view of Crawford Notch. You you're looking essentially right down the middle there's a the route 16, the highway in the gully, like in the bottom of the valley. And then you're just looking through this mountainous valley. It's, it's absolutely stunning, beautiful view. And it's a huge payoff for a really easy hike. And because of that, it draws in a lot of people. Um, so here's the news, you know, after I explain the, where this happened, there was a man and his wife, uh, husband and wife, they, they hiked up to the top of Mount Willard and uh, Apparently, uh, no one actually saw what happened, but apparently they got to the top, him and his wife were just walking around, kind of taking pictures. Uh, it seemed like the, the guy was taking a picture when he apparently slipped and fell. And unfortunately, because of the way the, you know, the, the top, the, the topograph of this mountain, it's very cliffy on the edges. And so he fell 300 feet off of a cliff off of the summit of the mountain and landed and, and was killed instantly. And from reports, his wife, uh, all she heard was him yell. And when she turned around, he was gone And a, you know, really sad story. It turns out he was actually a, a native to New Hampshire and, uh, worked on Mount Washington. And there's a lot, a lot of background to it. It sounded like a guy who was in the mountains a lot and you know, just a really unfortunate turn of events that led him there. Uh, search and rescue had to go up and rappel off the summit of the mountain to, to, uh, you know, retrieve his body. Uh, just a really sad story, but I, I was shocked because it's such a busy mountain. You know, there's like always, you know, 10 or 15 people on the summit taking pictures and you don't hear this happening often. Um, it just seems like a really unfortunate, you know, freak accident that happened. So, uh, you know, thoughts, I, I feel bad. Uh, I'm sorry if you're listening, if anyone knows this guy, you know, terrible, terrible outcome, uh, but really surprising that it happened as well. So that's sad. Let's move on to the next sad bit of news. Uh, so there is a, a guy running the Cal California international marathon named Aaron Kuhn. I think I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's K U E N Aaron Kuhn, Kuhn. He was en route to run a 248 marathon estimated. Um, so he was sustaining like a six and a half minute pace or faster throughout this entire run. And he got up to mile 26 when out of the blue, he collapses on the ground. Now, if you don't know, a marathon is 26.2 miles. So he got to mile 26 and collapsed on the ground. And unfortunately... It turns out he had uh, rhabdo or rhabdomyolysis. I, I'm pronouncing that wrong, uh, but it's a condition that's uh, essentially your kidneys start 
breaking down your kidney tissue starts breaking down and some, it flushes into your bloodstream and releases a bunch of, uh, proteins, electrolytes, and things like that, that should not be in your bloodstream. Uh, it's a bad, it's a bad situation. And for the most part, it tends to happen in, uh, you know, hot conditions when you're vigorously exercising. As an example to this, I experienced a little bit of rhabdo, um, Back in 2019, when I tried to run Vermont 100, it was 110 degrees Fahrenheit out that day. I got incredibly dehydrated and I, I had all the symptoms. I had, you know, peeing blood, which, sorry, graphic, gross. Uh, that happened. My legs started uh, completely spasming and I had back pains. I, looked, I got really sick. It was a terrible situation. But I, I fortunately saw the signs and stopped and DNF to that race. Now, unfortunately for, for Aaron Kuhn here, he did not stop until it was too late and he collapsed on the ground. Uh, it turns out he, he had rhabdo and it, he, this article that I'm reading from, uh, outdoor magazine say that he, he had issues with his kidneys, his liver and his heart. It, it seems like he recovered from the rhabdo fairly quickly, but he's still in a coma. So he's still alive but he's in a coma even still after all these days after the marathon. Really sad. Um, and all I can think is, you know, if you're, he was obviously in really well-trained condition. If he was on track to run a, you know, two two forty eight marathon, that's a fast marathon. So all I can keep thinking is that he was a competitive athlete or, you know, he, he had a goal. He wanted to set a PR. And if you're at mile 24 or 25, in a marathon, you think, oh, I'll just push it a little further. I'll just keep pushing. Even if you start feeling things like pain or something feels wrong, um, you know, at mile 26, you're not going to pull the plug in a marathon. You only have got a quarter of a mile left of the race, uh, which, you know, I think this is a lesson for all of us. Even if you're, you're 99% done with a race, there's still potential for something to go wrong. And that's clearly what happened here. Unfortunately, Aaron, um, you know, he just pushed too, too hard, too long and, and ultimately paid the price. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a sad story. Uh, I think we can all learn from it. And, you know, I hope, I hope medically speaking, he can recover from this and, and get back on his feet. Uh, but yeah, sad story. Uh, that's <laughs> sorry to start this with the sad stuff, but I feel like I wanted to mention that because those are two stories that I feel like, there are lessons we can take away from that and, you know, bring into our own lives. Next time you're in a marathon or in an ultra or hiking and you feel like something's wrong, you know, don't push it. So that's why I wanted to talk about that. With the outdoor news out of the way, let's move into the tech news. So the first bit of tech news I got here is that Apple Watch OS 9.2 is now available. Came out a few days ago. If you have an Apple Watch, it probably automatically updated to this already. Uh, I was planning to make a video about this because there's some really cool features that were included in it. However, you know, my peers, uh, Dez over at DezFit on the YouTube channel, he already covered it and he made an awesome video about it. So I feel like it's not even worth <laughs> wasting my time to cover it on my channel when you can just watch his video. So go check out his video if you want to see what it's all about and see him use the new features in real time. Essentially, this new Apple Watch OS 9.2 brings a few new features to the table that were initially announced during the keynote for Apple Watch Ultra and Apple Watch Series 8. They talked about these features, but they said that they were coming sometime down the road, and now they're here. So the first feature is called Race Route. Uh, Race Route is essentially a vir virtual pacer, pacer that you'd find on like a Garmin or a Puller uh, it's kind of the same thing, but a little bit smarter. So essentially, if you run the same route, like if you've, if you've got a favorite 5K route around your neighborhood and you run it, run it all the time, you can go back and race your previous, previous efforts on the Apple Watch. So on the Apple Watch Series 8, Series 7, I think even the Series 5, the Ultra, uh, you can update and get this new feature that allows you to race your old efforts. And in real time on the watch, it'll show you how far ahead or behind you are from your previous effort to let you know if you're, you know, doing better or worse. Kind of a fun, fun feature. I always like the virtual pacer because it gives you like a good baseline to know, okay, my fitness is where, you know, where it should be or not where it is or whatever. So kind of a fun feature there. 
Another feature that's new is called auto track detection. And this one is kind of, this one's probably the most interesting to me. So essentially Apple is using Apple maps data along with your GPS position to, to know when you're approaching a track, a running track. And this is really cool. So they've got all the tracks in the United States in a database. And when you approach a track with your Apple watch on, it'll automatically say, Hey, you're at a track. Would you like to do a workout at the track? And you can say yes. And then you can actually pick a lane that you're going to run in and start your workout. What's really cool about this is on other watches, there, are, there is a track mode that does a similar thing, but like on a Garmin, you have to do a couple of laps on the track before your workout to calibrate where the Apple watch ultra will automatically calibrate because it, it knows the distance of the track. It knows all the details about the track from Apple maps data. So really cool feature there. I have tested it and it does work. Uh, basically I walked over to the high school in town, approached the track and it knew right off the bat, uh, that I was at a track and that I could start a workout there. So pretty cool. I'm still considering making a video about it, trying to, you know, coming at, coming at it from a different angle, but I may or may not do that, but yeah, the, the new features are there. Apple also included some more details on how low power mode actually works. So I made a video about low power mode before. It's pretty confusing because there's like essentially two low power modes. There's like low power mode and then low, low power mode. <laughs> um, but in the settings menu now, they've actually added more information about what these low power modes actually do. So that's a welcome improvement. Okay, uh, next topic is stride. So the stride foot pod, if you don't know what that is, it's a little sensor you wear on your shoe. This sensor can pick up things like running power, uh, leg stiffness or springiness, a lot of, lot of uh, technical things. It's a good training tool. And still, even though a lot of, a lot of, a lot of watches out there offer running power from the wrist without an additional sensor. There's some benefits to uh, going with something like a stride pod because it gives you even more information. And, and typically it's a little bit more accurate because it's actually on your foot. It's got like a wind sensor in it. It's a lot of technology. So anyways, on top of the old metrics like running power, etc., there's a couple of new metrics. The first one is impact loading rate. This will tell you how quickly your body is absorbing vertical force when your foot hits the ground. Uh, this is reported in units of body weight per second or BW slash second. I'm reading this off of their notes. Uh, so that's interesting. That's supposed to give you, like, I guess, I guess that'll give you like how much impact your joints are seeing. Maybe you could use that for something. I don't really know. Uh, the next new metric you're getting from stride is called lower body stress score a single number to help runners understand the impact of mechanical loading experience between a, a runner's center of mass in the ground that they accumulate over their day by day training. That is very complicated. And to be honest, like I like to see them like include new metrics and, and firmware updates and things like that. But there is a point where there's diminishing returns. Like what, what, what are you going to actually, like, how can a runner actually use this data? Is the app going to give me good feedback using this data on how to improve my training? Or is this just like marketing in numbers that they're going to throw at you in the app? I don't know. I haven't tested it yet, but it, it is good to see that they keep improving on their product. And I do like the stride pod. So uh, I'll have to give this stuff a test and uh, report back. But yeah, this... If for the sake of this podcast, th those are the new metrics included in the stride pod. Moving right along, we're going to talk about a couple of pieces of Garmin news because who doesn't want to do that? Garmin beta firmware. So first is a beta firmware that's available for the Garmin Epix Gen 2, the Phoenix 7, and Enduro 2. If you don't know what beta firmware is, it's uh, essentially firmware that's not ready for public release and you can go and download it manually from Garmin's website, put it on your watch and experience new features before everybody else. Now, one caveat to this before you go and download everything is this is beta. That means it's not ready for public consumption. So if you download this and you have issues, it's all on you, man. You can't complain to Garmin. So do not download these, this beta firmware if you're planning on running a race tomorrow. It's a bad idea. You'll probably crash your watch and lose all your data. Uh, don't do it. 
But if you are a gadget nerd like me and you want to experience the, the new stuff, it's pretty cool that you can check it out before everybody else. So, uh, like I was saying, Epics, Phoenix 7, Enduro 2, just these watches are included in this. First of all, probably the mo most noteworthy is TrueUp. So if you don't know what TrueUp is, it's essentially a way for multiple Garmin watches to sync information together. So if you have a Garmin Phoenix 7 and like a Garmin Venue SQ, you can use your, your Venue SQ throughout the day, collect your step data, your body battery, your calories, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, when you get close to your Phoenix 7 and you get home or going to bed or whatever, the watches will actually sync their data together. So your step count will be represented on multiple devices and be shown it'll all be the same on every device, which is great. But if you've been following my YouTube channel, you know that this feature is actually kind of broken because it doesn't include all of the metrics. So it does everything from your training status, your step count, your calories burned, your activity history, your distance accumulated day by day, your, your intensity minutes, like all that stuff is synced between multiple devices. But some of the newer features like the sleep metrics or the HRV status or training readiness, they don't work with this feature. So if you have multiple watches and you've got your HRV status on the one that you wear regularly, it will not sync over to your other watches. Now, why should you care about this? Well, because the HRV status takes about three weeks to get. So if you switch watches, now you got to wear that one for three weeks in order to get that, that metric that you may find valuable. I personally really like the HRV status function and I've been super bummed out that I recently started wearing the Epix Gen 2 more and more. And I don't, I still don't have an HRV status because I've only been wearing it for two weeks, uh, even though I have it on every day. So this firmware update, this beta firmware now includes true up sync for HRV status, which is a huge deal. And apparently this is kind of like the foundation, the groundwork of them rolling out this feature for more and more metrics. In fact, I felt bad because after I, after I uh, posted my video, basically complaining about how this feature works, uh, the fact that I didn't have sync for all of my metrics, Garmin reached out to me and they were like, hey, <laughs> hey, you know, next time you think about posting a video like this, make sure to ask us first because it's something we're working out on actively. We know it's a problem. Uh, so yeah, I felt kind of bad about that, but it's good to see that they're actually paying attention and they're working on things and, you know, uh, that's good news, even though I was kind of the scapegoat for that. So, uh, yeah, now HRV status will sync between multiple devices, which is great. If you have multiple watches or like a, you know, a Garmin edge or something like that. Now it will do that. Unfortunately, the sleep metric training readiness and some other data like body battery, those features still don't sync. It's only HRV status for now, but I think this is kind of the entry groundwork for getting all that other stuff to work. So good news there. Next up. Oh, by the way, if, if you're, if you care included in that firmware update for the Epix Phoenix seven and Enduro two is also some more water sports activities. I don't care about that, but you might. So there's that. Okay, next bit of news is another beta firmware update from Garmin, uh, this time for the Instinct 2. This one's pretty exciting. So on the Garmin Instinct 2, with this new beta firmware update, again, you have to manually install this. You, it's not going to automatically happen, and it is beta, so don't use it if you have important things happening. But you will get a whole bunch of new features like morning report, the new sleep mode, uh, the race calendar, wrist-based running power on, a, on the Instinct 2. That's so cool. You also get the daily suggested workout uh, upgrades, the great adjusted pace that was announced on the Enduro 2, Physio true up with the, with the training status and HRV status update. Yeah, a whole bunch of features for the Garmin Instinct 2. And I'm, a, I'm really happy about this because that's kind of an older watch. The Instinct 2 came out, I forget how long ago, but it's, it's not like a brand new watch and they just pushed out so many new features to this. Uh, pretty happy about that. So if you have an instinct to, uh, you know, you don't have to install the beta firmware right away. Just know like maybe a month from now, maybe three weeks from now, you'll probably get this in an official update, which is very exciting. 
And that, my friends, is the end of the fitness tech news. There's probably more out there. I've been trying to keep my finger on the pulse, pulse of things, but, you know, holidays, man. It's been very busy, uh, so we're going to have to do with just that. And with that, we're going to dive right into listener Q&A this week, episode 46, listener Q&A. And if you don't know what this is, what I do is I put out an Instagram story with one of those little question boxes where you can write in a little uh, question for me. And I take all the questions that are, are submitted on Instagram and through my DMs and I read them out loud here and react to them in real time. So if you'd like to be featured in a future podcast, you can go ahead and follow my Instagram account. That's at chase the summit or check out the link in the show notes and stay tuned for an update, an updated version of this where you can Go ahead and, uh, you know, ask, an, uh, ask a question and I'll read it out in real time on the podcast. Stay tuned to my stories. And I typically issue this like once a week where you can ask questions. Or if you just want to ask a question, you don't want to wait for that. You can just shoot me a DM on Instagram and I'll try to include it in the podcast. Or if you don't have Instagram, you can even just go to my website, chasethesummit.com, click the contact button and send me a, send me a message through there. And it'll go to my email. And I'll try to read it out loud. Okay. First question from Carolina P. Little. The what is the best treadmill for under one thousand dollars? Okay, that's gonna be a tough one for me. <laughs> so first of all, I don't screen these questions at all, so I'm just gonna be shooting from the hip. Uh, so best treadmill for under a thousand dollars? Honestly, I don't know. You know, like basically, like every Nordic track or name brand out there, even like Bowflex, is gonna be more than a thousand bucks. I think I've seen, I've got a couple at home, um, that were, you know, sent for review and those are okay. You know, like the four to $500 range is pretty rough because they're so small, not to say they're bad, but they're very small treadmills. So if you're, if you just want something for walking, I think you can spend, you know, four or 500 bucks, but if you want to run on it, you want the elevation change to be able to incline. Um, it's gonna, it's gonna be a little bit more. I think, Realistically, for something with quality, you're probably looking at more like fifteen hundred bucks. Um, and I'm just you know generalizing here. I'm not going to name brands or models because that's really tough. But yeah, I would say try to bump up your your budget to like fifteen hundred bucks to to get the most out of it because it's one of those things like buy nice or buy twice. <laughs> I hate saying that, but with with treadmills, you end up with this really heavy you know, thing that's hard to get rid of. If you, if you end up buying it and it sucks and you want to sell it or something, they're hard to get rid of their value drops quickly. So it's almost like spend a little bit more upfront. So you don't have to go through the headache of trying to swap it out with something nicer down the road. So I would say, look at Nordic track, even though I've had issues with them in the past, uh, the commercial series, you can get one for like 1500 bucks, um, maybe a little less used, and then, you know, see where that goes. The the Peloton tread, the new one, I think is also, what is that, like 1500 bucks? I don't, I don't even know. I should probably look it up before I, you know, talk out of my butt on the podcast, but <laughs> that does seem interesting. I like, I'd like to try that one and review it. Uh, but treadmills are hard to review because of how big and heavy they are. Like I said, it's not something I want to be like bringing in and out of my house all the time. Sorry, I can't be more helpful there. Next question is from Valpo Hawkeye. They ask, how do you clean your soft flasks? So if you don't know, uh, if you don't have a hydration vest, essentially a soft flask is a little rubbery or plastic bottle that's soft, obviously, and it goes in your hydration vest. And the problem with them is if you go out and run with like a hydration mix in your bottles and then you get home and throw it in the closet and forget about it, even for like a couple of days, it's going to get moldy and gross and almost irrecoverable in some situations. I've had to throw them away in the past because of how gross they get. So what do I do to mitigate that problem? Well, first of all, I try to immediately clean them when I get home. Like when I walk in the door from a race or a long run, I go straight to the sink. I fill them both with water. I shake them around and I dump them out. Even if it's just a rinse, like temporarily until I can, you know, properly clean them with soap and stuff. But that's really the biggest tip I can give you is try to clean them immediately when you have availability with water, because that will keep them from getting nasty. Um, another trick I've heard uh, from other people is they, they store them in the freezer 
Uh, so if you store it in the freezer, it can't grow mold. It'll just stay frozen until you need it again. I've had mixed results with that. I end up with like, like a weird, like freezer taste to my water. If I do that, which I don't love, I don't know what freezer taste means, but you know what I mean? Like freezers have a smell of like frozen meats and popsicles and I don't, you know, the stuff that's in the freezer, kind of like a stale kind of cardboard. I don't know. It's a weird flavor that ends up stuck in the bottle. Even if you wash it, uh, I don't love that, that solution. Uh, but for me, I clean it out thoroughly as soon as I can. Sometimes I'll stick a paper towel, like a wadded up paper towel inside of them to try to absorb the moisture. Uh, and then I try to hang them upside down if possible. And I use uh, Camelback quick stove flasks. And why, why I use them is for a couple of reasons. They have an on and off valve, which is unrelated to cleaning, but I love that. And you can actually hang them upside down pretty easily because they have a hole a hole at the base of the bottle that you can put a hook through and like hang it on your cabinets or whatever. So I find that very useful. So, uh, yeah, clean them and hang them to dry. Try to keep them dry. Don't leave them wet and take apart the valve. So if you have a bite valve, like a rubbery thing, I like to pop the rubbery part off to give it a chance to dry out. So there's no stuck moisture that can get moldy over time. And that's what works for me. I hope that's helpful. Next question, the wandering social worker. What do you want for Christmas? New tech, socks? Uh, either way, Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, what do I want for Christmas? Uh, vacation. Time off of work. Time off of my real job, which is what I got. I actually took this whole week and next week off. So I've got a whole bunch of free time to hang out with the family. I'm going to try to do some you know, some cool stuff for YouTube and for the podcast, which is why I'm recording right now at, you know, 1030 on a Friday because the kids are in school and I've got the day off so I can, I can do this, which is great. Okay. <laughs> so that's all I want for Christmas is time because time is the hardest thing to come across. I can't buy time. You know, I kind of can by taking time off of work, but, uh, yeah, time. Hope that answers your question. <laughs> Next question is from Mike Elkins, six, nine, six, three. Hey Dave, what's your go-to electrolyte mix? Does it change for a hundred miler? My go-to is two parts. So the first part is I use uh, liquid IV. And if you're interested in liquid, liquid IV, they're actually a supporter of this podcast. Check out the link in the show notes down below uh, for a discount. You can actually get a chase to summit discount. I think it's 20% off by using the link in the description. So, Liquid IV is essentially just electrolytes. It's low calorie. It's like 50, cal 50 calories per serving, but it's got a whole bunch of electrolytes like magnesium and vitamin B and all that stuff uh, mixed in. And I find it works really well. I like using it like while I'm eating real food in a race or like prior to going for my long run, I'll have some liquid IV and it tends, tends to work really well. I really like that. And on top of that, for longer races, when I need more calories, a little bit more oomph, I use Tailwind. Tailwind comes in a whole bunch of different flavors. I personally like the naked flavor of Tailwind because it still has a flavor. It's like a subtle, sweet flavor, but it's not overwhelming. I never get sick of it. It doesn't get old. Uh, and I, it comes in these little travel packs that you can throw in your hydration vest, which is really handy. So Tailwind is a, I, I'm a big fan of. Those are my two favorites. Next question from Doug Moore 51. What are your favorite lesser known ultra trail races? Uh, so that's a tough one because, you know, so I'm from the Northeast. I live in Massachusetts and I tend to run around here more than like, I don't travel a lot for races. So my lesser known races are going to be really lesser known for you. If you live in Texas or California or something like that, but I can name a, f a few. So, the Mid-State Massive is a local race. Uh, it is super cool. You can run a 100-mile distance, and it's point-to-point. -point. So you you start in southern New Hampshire, and you finish on the border of Connecticut in Massachusetts, which is really different than a lot of races out there. It's kind of an adventure, and your drop bags move with you, which is really cool. Uh, they drive them along in a van, and you can access them at various aid stations. Another favorite race of mine that a lot of people don't know about is called the, the Wapak and Back. Uh, it takes 
place on Mount Watetic in uh, southern New Hampshire on the Waypack Trail. And it's a 43-mile race with about 12,000 feet of elevation gain on some pretty gnarly terrain. I've had a ton of fun there. Super cheap entry fee. It's like 50 bucks to get in. And great vibe, great volunteers. Uh, it's, it's run by the Trail Animals Running Club, which is a local running club north of Boston. So they do a great job at putting out a lot of volunteer run, like really cheap events. Uh, I really like that one as well. And, and one more I'll mention is really lesser, really lesser known. It's relatively new and it's uh, really special because it takes place in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And for a long time, organized racing was against the rules in the, in the forest, in the White Mountains, uh, because they didn't want to have so many people crowding the trails. But a race organization called White Mountain Ultras, uh, shout out to Christina Flockhart. Uh, she has put together a race organization that specializes in races in the White Mountains, which is really different. It's really backcountry, grassroots. Uh, you're way, you're out there alone for a lot of time. But I think it's a really unique race. And it's called the Kilkenny Ridge Race. It, it's a 25-mile or 50-mile race. Uh, you can do a one way, which is 25 miles, or you can do an out and back, which is 50 miles. And it goes across, across the Kil Kilkenny mountain range in New Hampshire, which, which includes two 4,000 foot peaks. And the 50 mile version has about 16,000 miles, 16,000 miles, no feet, 16,000 feet of elevation gain, which is a crap load of elevation gain. And really gnarly terrain. In in some situations, you're root finding. It's you're 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 really in the backcountry in the forest. There's moose and bears. It's really it's really awesome. I did it a couple of years ago. Uh, I've considered doing doing it again, but I need my fitness level to be a little bit <laughs> a little bit better because I, in 2019 I was in the best shape of my life, and it took me 14 and a half miles hours to run a 50 mile race, which which is a a really long 50, 50 miler and the first place person that year ran it in, in 12 and a half hours. So even they took a long time. That just gives you some context on how hard it is. You know, a 50 miler that takes, uh, you know, 14 and a half hours is no joke. So, uh, yeah, check that out. If you're ever in the New Hampshire area, it's definitely worth looking into the Kilkenny, uh, 50 miler. They actually have another one coming up called the Jigger Johnson. That's going to be a hundred miles with like some absurd amount of elevation gain, like 35,000 feet of elevation gain. Uh, so if you're a glutton for punishment, you know, check out, check out white mountain ultras. Uh, next question, Sanchez, the trainer, what's your favorite budget watch for trail for, for running? Uh, even though it's starting to get a little bit older now, I'm still going to go with the Coros Pace 2. For $200, you get a rock solid watch that is perfect for being like a, you know, bare minimum running watch that has all the features you need to really train hard, you know, learn about your training habits, get some valuable feedback from the Coros Evo Labs platform. And, you know, it's a really solid watch for 200 bucks. Really hard to beat at that price point. So I'm just going to say that. A close runner-up might be the Polar Pacer for 200 bucks. Uh, again, pretty good deal at that price point. Uh, but those two are really good. Next question from Luke Scott Peck. Do you ever use hiking poles? Uh, so, yeah, fun fact. I used, to, I used to use them all the time on basically every hike and trail run. And, I, you know, I, I think I started using them because I saw other people use them and I felt like I had to use them. But as I got more and more into the sport of trail running, I started to realize they were more in the way for me. And that's not to say they're bad. I think there's people out there that know how to use them better than I do. And maybe that's my problem. But yeah, to answer your question, I kind of gave them up. And I found that I, I was fumbling more and, you know, taking them out and putting them away or taking, you know, like, when do you get them out and when do you put them away? It just became kind of a headache. It became too complicated for me. So I kind of gave them up and I, I had those really lightweight carbon Z poles from black diamond. They were great. Uh, but yeah, I just don't use them anymore. So that's the answer to that question. I guess the next question goes to feel the need. 
What's your favorite weather to run in? That's an easy one. I'll go with uh, spring, low humidity, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, sun out. Uh, yeah. I like warm weather runs, but like they're hard to like really perform well in. If it's like 85 or 90, I actually do enjoy that. But it is a butt kicker. It can lead to dehydration. Uh, so like if I'm running a 5K, I won't mind if it's like 90 degrees Fahrenheit. But if I'm running, you know, a marathon for time, 70 or even 60 and sunny and dry, low humidity, that's the best. This person also says they love to run in the rain. Uh, I like the rain too, to some extent. It depends like on the context. If it's, if it's a trail race and it's muddy and wet and nasty, uh, I, you know, my, my worst, my least liked weather for running would have to be like 40 and rainy when it's just above freezing, but it's raining. That is the worst combination ever. I would much prefer it to be like 20 and dry than 40 and rainy. <laughs> Next question, Vasco Diaz. Why do you usually wear low drop shoes like Ultra or Hocus that I see in your videos? Uh, great question. It's really personal preference. So there's a lot of science to prove that low drop shoes are better for fatigue. They're uh, less likely to like work your calves and things like that. But there is pros and cons to everything. And if you're used to like high drop shoes, like a 12, 13 millimeter drop on like a La Sportiva or a Reebok or whatever, it's, it's a hard transition to go to low drop shoes. And I honestly don't recommend it. You know, if you're used to that and you're okay with it and you're not getting injured, why break something that's not broken? Right? So for me, low drop works well. I, I find that I, it, it avoids injury for the most part. I, I typically am a four foot runner. Like I, I kind of walk on my tippy toes. So having a low drop shoe, I feel like just helps me, I don't know, helps kind of keep me from going too hard in that direction and they just work for me. So yeah, I like zero drop shoes from ultra, but I also like, you know, five millimeter drop shoes from Hoka, uh, or like Topo, uh, Topo has some shoes that with, with a low drop that I've really liked. So I'm basically a guy who can run in anything that's like five millimeter or below. Once you get up to like 10 millimeters, I kind of feel like I'm wearing high heels. I don't like that feeling. So for me, low drop is what I like. And that's what I just continue to wear. And brands like Hoka and, and Ultra make that easy because like everything they make is low drop. Next question from Welsh. I am, can you give me a shout out for more uh, to more of the running community for my Instagram? <laughs> well, here's your shout out, man. Welsh, go follow Welsh. I am, uh, on Instagram, all 10 of you listening to this. Uh, next question from Brian SQ wish D. What kind of training do you do? Any track or speed work in there? So truth be told, I'm not like a really structured person when it comes to training. I should be, and I'm starting to get better with that. And some of the things that I started incorporating in my training is a, uh, speed work. So just focusing on speed some days and doing shorter runs, but I don't often get to the track, which I should. And then B, um, I'm doing a lot of strides. So strides are something new to me. And if you don't know what a stride is, it's basically a moment of, you know, intensified effort during a casual run And a stride should be, or what they say on paper, that's how it's defined is basically, uh, your maximum pace that you can sustain without breaking your form. So while you keep really good form, you don't feel super labored and like you're, you're falling apart and blowing up, uh, that maximum pace that you can keep, uh, and then do that on, you know, four to four to six times per run while you're going up a gradual hill. So that has been a kind of a game changer for me in something I've been trying to focus on more. I've been trying to do strides on every run I do, uh, even on the treadmill, I'll hit the, uh, you know, five or 10, uh, degree incline and, and I'll just add some effort to my run to try to you know, boost that VO two max and try to get more, more out of my training. And I think it's starting to work, but that's something I would be focusing on more and, uh, stay tuned to the YouTube channel. I feel like I'm going to focus more on training. I kind of want to get into like the best shape of my life and kind of document that because right now I'm not in like amazing, I'm in good enough shape 
to run an ultra, but not like compete. I'm not, I'm, I'm like very much mid pack right now. My last 50 K I was right in the middle of the pack, but a couple of years ago I was kind of competitive. Like I'd get top 10 in some races. Uh, I was first place male on a couple of occasions, didn't happen often. I was not super fast I'm talking about very non-competitive races here, but I do want to get in better shape and kind of document that process from a guy who's got four kids and a job and all the other stuff going on. Um, because I find, you know, for me watching that stuff on YouTube is mo motivational more so than watching a pro athlete getting into the best shape of their life because who friggin' cares if, you know, Hayden Hawks, you know, no offense to Hayden Hawks. He's an amazing athlete, but like, his whole entire life and job is to be in the best shape of his life. So to see him do it is like one thing, but to see like a normal guy like me, uh, you know, get into better shape while also maintaining all the other aspects of life and balancing it, I think would be more valuable, I hope. Uh, so I'm going to try to document that. So stay tuned on YouTube for that. Long-winded answer. Sorry about that. Next question is from Brady Barks. Are you a fan of the Hoka Tecton X? Yes, I am. Um, so when I first got them, I was given those when I was out at the Western States with Hoka. They gave me a pair there and I ended up, I gave them a size 10 and a half when I should have given them a size of 11. And I found that my feet were really uh, fatigued and hurt you know, on the downhills and stuff. I didn't love them right off the bat, but after I got a pair of 11s, it was a game changer. They're a great shoe. They're a very fast trail shoe, uh, but they're not my favorite Hoka. Right now, my favorite Hoka is the Mafate Speed 4 because it's it's very much like the Tecton X, but it's got a little bit more cushion. It's a little bit more comfortable for longer days. The Tecton X feels faster to me because it's got that carbon plate in it, but the Mafate Speed 4 is a more like cruiser, like a, a longer, uh, it's, more, it's a more comfortable ride for me. So yeah, I like the, the Mafate Speed 4 right now. That's, that's my jam. I've been wearing that like more so than my ultras. Next question is from Torbjorn HB. What's your biggest dream that you hope com comes true in 2023? Just focusing on yourself, not your family. Uh, good question. Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> well, I would like to, I would like to make content creation a bigger part of my life. Like I would like to make like ultimately, you know, let's cut to the chase here. Ultimately, I really want, you know, YouTube and this podcast to become my job, what I do to make a living because I like doing it. And at the end of the day, I want my job to be something I like doing right now. My job is in mechanical engineering, which is fulfilling financially. It's very rewarding. Uh, but it's just not like a passion. It's not like what I absolutely love doing. And I get that everybody has a job in a very small percentage of people out there actually like doing their job. But what drives me nuts is this, like, if, you know, for you, American, for us, USA people, you probably know this more than others. Um, here in the USA work is looked at as if it's something you should hate. Like you should dread it. You should, you know, you should talk to your buddies and be like, uh, oh, finally got out of work, blah, blah, blah. And I just hate that mentality. So I've, I've been trying to, I don't know, like ultimately I want to have a career. I want to, I want to grow something that's mine and that I'm proud of in something I enjoy doing. And that's what YouTube and this podcast is. So I guess that's my dream. I hope my boss at my real job isn't listening to this. That'd be awkward, but yeah, that's, that's my dream. So if you want to help that dream come true, shameless plug, check out the Patreon link at the bottom of the show notes, <laughs> because with enough Patreons, I think if I had like, like three or 400 Patreon members, I, I could easily make that career shift. But uh, for now it's, you know, balancing act. <laughs> Hope that answers your question. Next questions from blogs, six, nine, one, one, five. For what reason did you stop wearing the aura ring? Well, uh, so that's complicated. I didn't stop wearing the aura ring because I hate it or it's a terrible device. I stopped wearing it because I test so many things on the YouTube channel. Like I can't wear one thing forever, basically. 
the aura ring is a lot of fun. It provides a lot of value. Um, I wore it for several months for testing, for testing for the purpose of the YouTube channel. Um, but at the end of the day, my wife would not let me, uh, replace my wedding band with it. So I had to wear two rings and I'm a pretty minimalistic kind of guy. So I ended up taking off the aura ring. I still have a couple of them and I may, you know, start wearing it again, uh, for testing, but it's not something I wear every day just cause I don't like wearing multiple rings and my, my marriage is more important than the aura ring. <laughs> That's the answer. Uh, next question, Lee Nick, uh, would you recommend the Apple watch series eight in the work outdoors app over something like a Garmin? Uh, yes and no. So it really depends. I say, I say that very often that it depends on your use case. If you are looking for mainly a smartwatch, you want to answer phone calls on it. You want to see your text messages and, uh, have the best smartwatch experience possible. Go with the Apple watch series eight. If, however, you are mainly someone focused on running or triathlons or swimming or hiking and you want the best sport watch experience imaginable and you don't necessarily care about the other stuff, I would say get a Garmin because the Garmin still has the advantage when it comes to mapping and navigation. If you get something like a Phoenix 7, it's a way better mapping implementation compared to Work Outdoors. Even though Work Outdoors is great, it's just not on the same level as the Garmin implementation. Uh, and then Garmin just comes with more stuff out of the box. You get body battery, you get more wellness features, uh, you get training readiness and HRV tracking where on the Apple watch, it collects all that data, but it doesn't present to you with any feedback on what to do with that data. So in order to really maximize the usefulness of the information you get from the Apple watch, you have to use a third-party app like athletic or elite HRV or one of these other things. And those cost money. So, you know, if you're okay with a subscription paying, you know, six bucks a year or 20 bucks a year or whatever for one of those other apps, it's a fine way to go. But I, I still think if your main jam, if all you're interested in is sports and fitness and wellness, a Garmin is the way to go. That's my opinion. Take that for what it's worth. Next question. Uh, Solna runner, what's the best trail shoe of 2022? Well, best is very subjective, right? Like my favorite may not be your favorite. So I'll give you two that I really like the ultra Mont Blanc Boa has been a staple for me. I've been, I keep that in my car. It's the one I run with after work. It's the one I, I go to for basically every trail run right now. But I also really like the Hoka Mafate speed Four. That's been also in my car. I keep both pairs of those shoes in my car. And again, I do like the Hoka Tecton X quite a bit as well. So those three shoes are, are great. If you like low drop shoes and you have wide feet, <laughs> that's my, it's my style. So with that, I guess we're at the end of the Q and a, I guess that's it. That's all the Q and a this week. Okay. Well, that was that was fun. Thanks for all the questions, everybody. And if you want to ask a question of your own, make sure you follow me on Instagram over at chase the summit on Instagram and, you know, keep an eye out for that story with the question box where you can ask your question and be featured on, on the podcast. I've got a lot coming up. So make sure you go over to the YouTube channel, uh, and hit the subscribe button. Make sure you go over and hit the subscribe button on your podcast app of choice, whether that be Spotify or Apple or podcast or whatever. And if you are listening on Spotify or Apple, make sure you give me a five-star rating that really helps the algorithm. It helps other people see it. And you can even leave a comment on Apple podcasts. Let me know what you like about the podcast or if you didn't like it. And if you didn't like it, let me know how I can be better because that would be really helpful. And with that, uh, we've got a lot coming up on the YouTube channel. Like I said, make sure you stay tuned. I've been working like crazy. Uh, a lot of videos coming. The Amazfit GTR4 review is coming. I've got more personal vlogs and race videos and things like that coming. And I think we've reached the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. One more quick shout out. Thank you to the Patreon members and YouTube members that help this podcast flourish and grow. <laughs> uh, it really means a lot to me. Your contribution every month really just goes a long way and it keeps this microphone turned on. It keeps me motivated to keep making these podcasts. Also, if you're interested, check out the merch store in the show notes down below. Just got a, I just got a big 
text message notification that uh, dinged in the background here and now it's in the recording. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, check out the merch store in the show notes down below and use discount code BFCTS220 for 220 BFCTS20 for a 20% discount for Black Friday or the, the holiday season, as it were, uh, off your entire order at the merch store. That's chasethesummit.com slash shop. BFCTS20 is the discount code. Thanks again, everybody. I'm going to leave it there. And then we're going to touch base again next week. I hope everybody has a happy holiday, a happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas, a happy Kwanzaa, or whatever it is that you celebrate this time of year. Uh, it really means a lot that you guys tune in every week. And uh, yeah, I'll see you next week. Happy holidays. Happy New Year, I think. Uh, you'll probably hear from me before then. Maybe not. So I'll say it now. Happy New Year. Okay. I got to go now. Bye.